Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Talk Recorded live. Hey, everybody. It's Lisa. And I sent out the wrong time in the email for this call. So it's not going to be... Very exciting because I am here by myself considering theoretically the call already happened, which it didn't. But this is interesting material. I'm going to go ahead and do this call by myself so that we can move on to next week's material. And I'm going to do a lot of sort of reading and highlighting some of what I'm going to read today in terms of how I think it really applies to law of attraction. Our topic last week was sleep, and we were talking about why sleep from a physiological standpoint makes so much difference. I think, you know, most of that is obvious, but what I have really learned is it's not so much about getting to sleep or even staying asleep, which is important, but it's about sleeping deeply enough that you go through all of the cycles of sleep that make a difference. And there's lots of tips and tricks for being able to stay in that cycle of sleep. So if you missed last call, which was two weeks ago, you might go back and catch the archive because I think it's worth listening to. Today, I talk about your brain having a delete button. So I sent out an article. I hope that most of you got a chance to read it, but we're going to go through it here. Um, There's an old saying in neuroscience that says neurons that fire together wire together, and that means the more you run a neural circuit in your brain, the stronger the circuit becomes. And that's why, to quote an other old sort of saying, practice makes perfect. The more you practice the piano or speaking a language or juggle or juggling, the stronger those circuits become. And for years, this has been a focus for learning new things, sort of this repeat, 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 repeat thing. But as it turns out, the ability to learn is more about more than about just building and strengthening neural connections, it actually also is really dependent on something that's called synaptic pruning. And here's how synaptic pruning works. Imagine your brain is like a garden, except instead of growing fruits or flowers and vegetables, you grow synaptic connections between neurons. And these connections that neurotransmitters like dopamine and serotonin are the things, these connectors are the things that those things travel across. And that's really important. Like brain chemistry rules the day in a huge way. And these these sort of synaptic connectors and receivers make sure that your brain chemistry is actually operating properly. Glial cells are the gardeners of your brain, and they tend to speed up signals between certain neurons. But like other glial cells are waste removers. They pull up weeds, killing pests, raking dead leaves. Your brain's pruning gardeners are called microglial cells. Those are the important ones for what we're talking about. They prune your synaptic connections. The question is, how do they know 
which ones to prune. Researchers are just starting to unravel this mystery, but what we do know is that synaptic connections that get used less are marked by a protein called C1Q, as well as others, but C1Q is the primary protein. So if you have a neural connection that isn't getting used very often, that these microglial cells will come and they'll mark the C1Q protein. And when the microglial cells detect that mark, they bond to the protein and destroy or prune the synapses. That's a mouthful. This is how your brain makes physical space to build new and stronger connections so you can learn more. Now, I think that when we're talking about law of attraction, we are always talking about how to change our thoughts, how to change your thoughts, how do you upgrade a thought, how do you find a better feeling thought and hook into it and be consistent with it. If you have a belief, how do you change a belief? It's by thinking another thought more consistently. Now, I know there's a lot of sort of, there are conflicting ideas around this concept of using affirmations because some people will say that affirmations don't work in that if it's not true, if you're saying an affirmation over and over again, you, it's not true, your brain argues with the statement that's not true, you're actually sort of kicking up dust in terms of trying to imprint a thought that doesn't resonate as true or real. But the reality of it is, if you can think that affirmation or that new thought, or you can repeat to yourself a new desired belief, over and over and over and over again, the airtime that that old belief gets would get marked with that protein, the neuro, the neurosynapses that are responsible for helping you think that thought or hold that belief gets marked with this C1Q protein and the microglial cells do come along. So I mean, from a scientific standpoint, the controversy over whether or not affirmations work or don't work, I think it's fairly clear. Affirmations or repeated new beliefs do work because you can't think two simultaneous thoughts. You can't be thinking two thoughts at the same time, really. So if your new thought or your new belief is getting the majority of the airtime, the microglial cells are going to come through and prune the neurosynapses that are associated with your old beliefs. Also a mouthful. But here's the thing. Here is why sleep in this process matters. Have you ever felt like your brain was full? I'm glad you guys are here. You missed like the whole diatribe I was just doing on microglial cells. How much of that did you guys miss? All of it. All of it. So we'll go back. Mm -hmm. Lisa is also on the call. Because I think Yay. the microglial cell thing really matters. So I'm going to get back. I'm pretty much just reading out of the article that I sent out. So imagine <clears throat> your brain is a garden, except that instead of growing fruits and flowers and vegetables, you grow synaptic connections between neurons. And these connections that neuro and these are the connections that neurotransmitters like dopamine, serotonin, 
and others travel across. Glial cells are the gardeners of your brain, and they act to speed up the signals between certain neurons. But other glial cells are the waste removers, pulling up weeds, killing pests, breaking dead leaves. Your brain's pruning gardeners are called microglial cells. They prune your synaptic connections, and the question is, how do they know which ones to prune? Researchers are just starting to unravel the mysteries, but what they do know is that synaptic connections that get used less marked by a protein are marked by a protein called C1Q, along with some others. When the microglial cells detect that mark, they bond to the protein and destroy or prune the synapses. This is how your brain makes physical space for you to build new and stronger connections. So what I was saying was, I think there's a controversy over affirmations in our world. If you repeat something to yourself over and over and over again, does it work? And a lot of people say that it doesn't work because your brain won't accept a thought that's not true. But this research kind of shows that scientifically it would work because the thought that you're thinking the most, if you're thinking, if you're changing a belief, and for example, your old belief is, I don't know, I'm always broke, but you are repeatedly programming yourself with the thought that, you know, abundance flows to me easily, eventually, and this could, it doesn't actually have to take that long, the neurosynapses that support I'm always broke are going to get marked with C1Q and the microglials come along and prune the connection. So it this sort of neuroplastic environment in our brain really does come down to repetition. Lots and lots of repetition causes the unused the unused neurosynapses to be pruned. So I'm going to hand it over to you guys for a second, and then we're going to jump back in and talk about how sleep plays into that. I mean, what's your experience with affirmations, Jackie? Um. I've had it. It's been a hit and miss a lot of the time. Um, I've, I've tried affirmations, the, the question ones as well. <laughs> I find having a mantra really, really useful, um, just simply as a redirection uh, when when I notice that I'm halfway down the rabbit hole. Um, but I I don't. I can't say that it's been. Um, it's been useful when I've been very consistent. I haven't always been consistent, and I have always had that little voice in the back that says, "Oh, you're lying." <laughs> so, um, but it's been easier to go with something that is mostly true and just expand it. So, like building on something. I can see that. I think since I really was since I, since this article came out and it made its rounds on Facebook. I don't know, a while ago, a couple months ago probably, I've had a lot more success, I think, using affirmations because my belief in affirmations is void. I mean, so there's a lot of attraction and action. But scientifically, I can see how affirmations would work. I've been using them a lot more recently and I'm having a lot more ease with it. Lisa, how about you? Um, Yeah, I'm kind of like with Jackie that um, I think the consistency is important. Um, I think when I first started using them, I, I wasn't using them properly. Um, and I think that just because I wasn't paying attention 
I was just saying what I wanted to say, what I thought I was supposed to say, and it wasn't uh, necessarily anything. It wasn't really making me, I wasn't feeling it the way I wanted to feel it. So I feel like I've gotten better at that, fishing around for something, like Jackie says, too, that has to be somewhat true for me. And then to really be able to milk that um, and say it over and over again and, you know, maybe in, um you know, expand on it, but just really notice how it feels in my body. And so like, I'm like, oh yeah, well, this is definitely, this is working. Like, this is what I got to do. Okay. So I think I should like set a timer for myself and alert. Like, I want to do this like every hour, every two hours, whatever. And then I know I don't, <laughs> but I do think about it. And I am much better doing it like in the morning as part of my morning practice. I'm getting, I'm much better at doing it then. Um, or maybe certain times when things trigger me and I can feel the old stuff start rising to the top. Um, and then that's kind of like a trigger. No, 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 let's go back to this. Um, so yeah, it's been, it's been a gradual process. And I, you know, while there are times where I wish it maybe was a little faster, um, I feel like it's more, it's more permanent now. For yeah. me, Cause you know, well, it's taking longer. You and I have talked, I, it was you, I think where we had, we talked about, it was a Tuesday call, that coming up with a affirmation that actually makes you feel the one way you want to feel, that mm-hmm. would, to some degree, speed this up because you're, you know, the neurotransmitters are going to kick in with some additional stuff. I mean, there's programming our reality, which I think getting the feeling is really important for, like, external physical manipulation of reality. But then there's this internal process of reprogramming our thoughts. And this information indicates that you don't have to buy it and you don't have to believe it to reprogram your thoughts. You just have to be consistent with it. Like if I'm really wanting to attract something or change something in the physical world, investing the extra energy to make sure that I'm connecting with an emotional resonance for what I'm trying to create with an affirmation might be great. I mean, it's probably going to be required, actually. But if I'm just wanting to upgrade my thoughts about something, all I have to do is starve out, you know, don't use those other neurosynapses as much with the old thoughts, and they'll get marked and they'll get pruned. So I think there's kind of a distinction between what we're creating from an LOA standpoint in the outside world and what we're doing with our thoughts inside our brain. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, it does. And I mean, eventually as our thoughts change, it's going to be easier to find that emotional resonance. In fact, that may be a shorter cut than trying to like sort of feel your way around for trying to find something that really gives you that emotional connection with what you want to desire, it might be a smart way to go about it to say, you know what, for the next couple of weeks, I'm just going to retrain my beliefs. I'm going to retrain my brain on this issue. And then as that becomes more solid, the emotional resonance naturally emerges. And then we really are in very fertile, deliberate creation territory. So, but what about when you say something that's, that I don't feel is true right now? And so, but when I say it, I, you know, there's that part of me that goes, yeah, right. You know, that, that is just not the case. And I just, I don't believe it. I mean, it's, 
still, in spite of all that, I'm retraining my brain the way I want it to be? You know, there's some science, and I'm trying to remember, well, some really good studies have been done on this. Um, I mean, it just comes down to pattern interrupt, right? So what I have found works really, really well for me on that front is using affirmations in a responding way rather than as a general practice. So rather than just saying, okay, I'm going to do this affirmation X number of times and then start my day, I use my affirmations as a response to a negative thought. So let's talk about my initiatives, for example. We've got to get 250,000 signatures, and we are behind. So my thought is, very frequently, holy fucking shit, we're not going to get our signatures. Immediately when I think that, and I caught myself a couple of weeks and really started some thought rehab on this, immediately when I catch myself on that, I say, no, that is not what I'm creating. That's step number one, because by stopping it, immediately I've already broken that neural pathway. The, mm. the chemical connections there got a little wobbly because I didn't let it just sit and do its thing. I stopped it, so I've already interrupted the neural pathway. And then I'm a little, I'm a little OCD, so it's really easy for me to then redirect to the affirmation. Of course, it was easy to get 250,000 valid signatures. And I will actually force myself then to think that thought more frequently. So if I think it once, it goes like this. We're not getting the signatures. No, that is not what I'm creating. Of course, it was easy to get 250,000 signatures. Of course, it was easy to get 250,000 signatures. Of course, it was easy to get 250,000 signatures. And I might force myself to do that. And it's not forced because it actually feels better to think a better feeling mm-hmm. thought five or ten times. So what's happening there is I interrupted the neural pathway and creating a new one. Repetition works. And that old neurosynapsis starts to get weaker and weaker every time. A couple mm-hmm. weeks ago when I was really panicking with this, and again, on the counter of things, I mean, I was probably thinking that thought 30 to 50 times a day. You know, two weeks into really rehabbing that thought, I'm probably thinking it, you know, five to ten times a day. If I keep it up a week or two from now, that thought probably won't come up anymore because it will get pruned. So I am aware when I'm doing that that I have some conflicting beliefs about it, but I hit it with hard repetition really quickly And that, because I'm being repetitive with it in that moment, that even shuts down my brain's ability to argue because I can't have two thoughts at the same time. It's just in that moment, I'm taking control of my thought patterns. I don't let them happen organically. Does that make any sense at all? Yeah, makes a lot of sense. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So are you saying this out loudly, so are you saying it to yourself? If I can... If I'm someplace where I don't look like a complete and utter idiot, yes, I, <laughs> I hear you. I do say it out loud. And mm-hmm. I mean, you can ask my little one because he's heard it. Because of course, <laughs> I'll do it to my kids. It's like you know, over and over and over and over and over again. <laughs> but if, even if I'm not, it doesn't make that much difference because if I have to say it to myself, I'm still interrupting the neuro pathway and I'm rebuilding a stronger bridge 
in a direction that I want. Mm-hmm. Now, does rebuilding that thought change the reality of the signatures? In and of itself, it doesn't. But once the new belief kicks in, then law of attraction does its magic. Mm-hmm. So, any other? So, how long have you been? Well, I'm just curious about your um, progress with this thought. Like, how long have you been doing it, and when are you going to have your 250? I mean, we. So we started in June. Mid-August, it really occurred to me, we're fucked. (laughs) Holy shit. (laughs) We are fucked. This is not going as well as it should. And what I know from a thousand campaigns is that August is a crappy month every time. But mid-August, it hit me, along with some other stuff that rolled my way, that matched that energy. It was really concrete. And so I would say... Sometime around, and it feels like forever ago now, but sometime probably around August 16 or 17, I decided to go to work on that thought really hard. And I would say I am just now, I've cut the amount of times I'm thinking that thought in in the day by two-thirds, and I am just now starting to see shifting evidence that says, oh, we're, we're okay. We're going to be okay. We've got a plan. Things are coming together. So, I mean, my cycle in that two-week period was it took me several days to get the thought under control. It's taken me, I'm just now starting to see evidence. From an LOA standpoint, I might have a three-week burn. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. That's cool you're seeing and evidence I, of it. Yeah, I like it. And I think three weeks, I mean, just knowing myself sort of historically, three weeks is often a cycle turnaround point for me if I'm working on something really sticky. But I've worked this really diligently. I mean, if the thought comes up, I stop it, and I force repetition on the new thought. Hmm. So why sleep matters? And this is cool. And then we're going to switch to another study here in a second. So if you've ever felt like your brain was full, like maybe when you were starting a new job or deep in a project or not sleeping enough, even though you're constantly taking in new information, your brain may not process it well because it actually is full. When you learn lots of new things, your brain builds connections, but they're inefficient, kind of ad hoc connections. Your brain needs to prune a lot of those connections away and build more streamlined, efficient pathways. It does that when we sleep. Your brain cleans itself out when you sleep. Your brain cells shrink up by up to 60% to create space for your microglial gardeners to come in and take away the waste and prune the synapses. Have you ever woken up from a good night's rest and been able to think clearly and quickly? That's because the pruning and pathway efficiency that took place overnight left you with lots of room to take in and synthesize new information, in other words, to learn. The same thing applies to naps as to why they're so beneficial to your cognitive abilities. A 10 or 20-minute nap gives your microglial gardeners the chance to come in and clear away unused connections and leave space to grow new ones. Thinking with a sleep-deprived brain is like hacking your way through a dense jungle with a machete, overgrown, slow-growing, 
exhausting, the Passover lap, and light can't get through. Thinking on a well-rested brain is like wandering happily through Central Park. The paths are clear and connect one another to distinct spots. The trees are in place and you can see far ahead of you. So, just on that premise, without a lot of discussion, we it's pretty clear to see why sleep really matters. And they're talking about learning, but the very same thing applies for anything. I mean, when we are trying to change a thought or change a belief, that's learning of the highest order. So if you're really working thought shifting or belief shifting, sleep is the time where your brain comes in and starts to clear out the neural pathways for the old thoughts and the old beliefs. It's it's critical. I mean, belief upgrading is like it's it's like I said, it's learning of an even higher nature. It's very self-directed. So when you're when you're in that process with yourself, naps during the day, making sure you're getting your eight or nine hours of sleep at night, makes that thought upgrading or belief upgrading process significantly more efficient. And it also kind of lets you know when you might be compassionate with yourself in the process. And I think I've heard this from lots of clients and I experience it with myself. If I have a really, really troublesome thought, it's most likely to be problematic problematic for me late in the day. Because my brain at that point is starting to become that dense jungle sort of scenario. I start having less control over my process of self-relearning or self-reprogramming. So the sleepless nights, the worrisome thoughts when you're laying in bed, the sort of muddly, bugged-down feeling in the evening, late in the day can make this part of the process feel more difficult for that reason. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Oh, perfect, yep. And so, I mean, the key is to be compassionate. I mean, another key might be to take a nap, um, you know, to just give yourself a 10, 15-minute break to close your eyes and really drift off for just a few minutes. Because the microglial cells are particularly efficient. I mean, they need they, they need a significant amount of time to do a thorough clean-out, but in a very short amount of time, they can clean out enough space that you feel and you are literally much more clear-headed. And they tend to have a self-awareness to know what needs to be pruned the most. So they will go in and do the most important gardening in 10 minutes if that's all the time they've got to do. So next session or next section. Be careful what you're mindful of. You actually have a lot of control over what your brain decides to delete while you're asleep. The sympathetic connections you don't use that get marked for recycling. The ones you do use are the ones that get watered and oxygenated. So be mindful of what you're thinking about. If you spend too much time reading theories about the end of Game of Thrones and very little time on your job, guess which synapses are going to get marked for recycling. If you're in a fight with someone at work and you devote time thinking about how to get even with them and not about the big project, you're going to wind up with a synaptic superstar at revenge plots but a very, but be a very poor innovator. 
To take advantage of your brain's natural gardening system, simply think about the things that are important to you. Your gardeners will strengthen those connections and prune the ones that you care less about. And that's how you help the garden of your brain flower. So in that case, again, I think it speaks to sort of consistency as being the key. But ironically, earlier in the day, David forwarded me an article that was done on a study, and I'm not going to read you all of this because it's a medical journal and it's not joyful to read. It was done for the Psychology of Science, a journal of the Association for the Psych- for Psychological Science. And I'll just read parts of the first paragraph and then I'll summarize the rest. Our results suggest that interweaving sleep between practice sessions and learning new things leads to a twofold advantage. It reduces the time spent relearning and ensuring a much better long-term retention than practice alone. So what that study basically did was they took people who were French people, it was done in France, who were trying to learn Swahili, which is a very obscure language. There aren't very many languages like it, so it's brand new for everyone who approaches it. And they were doing it on flashcards. And so they took two groups, and they had them work these flashcards, same number of cards, so the same number of words they were trying to get them to use. The only thing that they did differently was the control group, um, they had them take a nap. So they would practice for a few minutes or an hour, whatever it was, in whatever part of the study they were in. And then when they were finished, they just simply you know, dimmed the lights, gave them pillows and fuzzy blankets and had them nap for a few minutes. And when we're talking a few, we're talking 15 or so. Later in the study, they actually also had the same control group practice right before they went to bed and then go to sleep, um, which is utterly against what we talked about with sleep hygiene. But (laughs) the point was that At the end of the study, the control group where they experimented with sleeping had picked up this new language at an 80-some percent higher rate of proficiency and an 85 percent higher rate in terms of speed of retention. So that makes sense when we think about the glial cells or the microglial gardeners. They took in the new information And then the gardeners, you know, immediately went to work to clear space for those neurosynaptic connections. And I think that what it means in terms of affirmation through law of attraction is twofold. I mean, what the article said, just be mindful about what you're mindful about, thinking about what you want to keep, and to the best of your ability, ignoring the thoughts that you would like to be pruned away makes sense. But if you were going to do affirmations for affirmation's sake, you know, just sit down and run a bunch of them at once, what time of the day makes most sense to do that right before you go to sleep? And we used to say that that was because that's when you were most in touch with your subconscious, kind of floating in between those various, you know, mind states. But what it really probably is is that 
when you take in information right before you sleep, it's top of the mind, literally, in terms of neurosynaptic growth. And the microglial gardeners come in underneath it and make lots and lots of space for those neurosynapses to expand and grow stronger. So that right before you sleep bit, and it doesn't have to be as you're drifting off to sleep, but within, I think, what the French study showed was within half an hour, and it could be anywhere between half an hour or as you're drifting off to sleep, you can improve the speed at which you learn or shift the thought by 80%. Wow. And hmm. that's massive. I mean, and that, I mean, so there's no way to know what that really means in terms of time because we're learning things at different rates or we're shifting beliefs and thoughts at different rates. But if I have a belief that I want to shift, However long that's going to take for me, if I can cut it by 80%, that's massive. Massive. Huge. Yeah. So, wow. thoughts on that, Jackie? It, I, I'm finding it fascinating. Um, it explains why one doesn't feel any better when one's been noodling over a problem as one goes to sleep. And, and then also... Um, I think with my hit and miss with affirmation, it has been that. It's been that last recitation of the affirmations just as I'm going to sleep, and I didn't put the two together. I'm, I mean, we've talked about it a little bit. Going to sleep is not my strong suit, but I, can, I will say that if I'm working in affirmation, I very easily drift off into sleep mm. doing that, probably because it's boring as fuck. But <laughs> it, it does put me to sleep. And when I think about the value of that being my last thought or my last 10 thoughts or my last 100 thoughts, knowing what my brain is going to do next, that seems worth doing. What about you, Lisa? Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts? Um, yeah, I'm just like really glad we're having this conversation because things are just like falling into place for me. When I first got into uh, coaching, um, I was actually in the midst of some major, of a major uh, sleep crisis where I was always like a really, really good sleeper. And then back, it was like 2007, started in 2006 actually, um, where I could go like 14 days in a row and get like anywhere between like one in three hours of sleep. And it was crazy for me. It was really crazy. Um, and then it um, it was probably like a good five years until I got it totally under control. And now I'm really, I'm really good. At, like I, I sleep extremely well um, without a real, without a real plan. Like I just used to be up. Um, I think I was just like obsessing over things. Um, and so now I'm sleeping really well and without a major plan. Although I think when I first did it, I did have some kind of affirmations that kind of helped me break that cycle. And so now I'm thinking, wow, just think what I could do if I actually had a plan. And I actually started thinking some of these beliefs that I would really like to be true. Um, um, I'm going to start tonight. I, I mean, it's not a big deal for me. I have some of them written down already. They're on my phone. I can look at them just as I'm locking up before I go upstairs. So, yeah, I like it. I love this idea. 
It's interesting. I mean, I come from a hypnotherapy background, and I think mm-hmm. about how we look at sleep from a hypnotherapy standpoint and kind of what, as a sort of, I guess, profession or a discipline, we think. Like, I very often and even still in coaching, like people want to talk about their nightmares. I had this dream, da 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 I had this nightmare, blah, blah, blah. You know, what, what they're dreaming about, and their dreams don't make sense, or they're particularly disturbing. And from a hypnotherapy standpoint, we have always said that dreams, particularly nightmares, are just your brain's way of clearing out the garbage. You know, that there's stuff in there and your brain kind of piles it into one package and just sort of vents it out through a nightmare or a bad dream or some sort of confusing dream. I mean, that sort of theory really kind of, I think, gels. It's not an exact layover, but it makes some sense with this microglial theory that, you know, your brain is clipping and cutting all of those connections and that there's going to be some neuro sort of mini explosions in your brain as that's happening, you might experience those as disturbing dreams. I mean, nightmares, even when they don't, you know, even when they're fairly consistent, if they don't last for more than a few weeks, from a hypnotherapy standpoint, they don't bother me at all. Like, I kind of think that's good news. And very often, nightmares related to a trauma will be delayed by months or even years, and then people will start having nightmares or bad dreams related to that. And I always sort of recognize that as good news because I know the brain is sort of clipping all of that stuff loose, finally. It's it's ready Mm -hmm. to let that go and air out some way. And, you know, again, from a hypnotherapy standpoint, if a hypnotherapist is working with a client that is really struggling to shift a thought or a behavior, like that bedtime meditation soundtrack is is a go-to. Sorry, my dog's in the bike. Like if somebody really can't quit smoking or if somebody really is struggling with obsessive thoughts, putting together some sort of a recording that they listen to while they're falling asleep almost always works. And both of those two things, understanding how the microglial cells work and what's happening in the brain during sleep make a tremendous amount of scientific sense. It also explains why it explains why the the three good things just before bed um, practice, the LOA practice works so well too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I mean it explains what you said when you go to sleep and you're chewing on a problem you don't mm-hmm. wake up feeling any better because you just reinforced all the neurosynapses that were associated with that problem and probably cleaned out, incidentally, accidentally pruned the neurosynapses of the kinds of thoughts that might have been creative problem-solving or just comforting and feeling better. You just really fertilized all of those thoughts, and that went on for hours while you were sleeping. Mm, absolutely. So, I mean, this really, like, so much of this kind of stuff, it's stuff we've always knew. Like, we always knew sleep was important. We always knew something was happening while we were asleep. But science is really catching up. And I think that science and what we know about law of attraction, very often there's 
they're similar, not quite the same, but I think these this particular aspect of science and LOA match really, really well. So that is what I've got on this subject. Any other thoughts or things on this one, Jackie? Oh no, just that I'm gonna I'm far more um invigorated to time my mantras for the last last bit of the day um and going to sleep. Yeah, I'll I will report back. But I it's it's kind of it's not that I disbelieve that they work, but it's so nice to have scientific backing, isn't it? <laughs> well, when I read this French study, I mean it's like and it like I said, not a joyful read. It's really pretty hardcore. But it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. They've, studied, mm-hmm. they've got the numbers. Like they, they did double-blind, controlled, kind of pharmaceutical-grade studies on this stuff. And it totally backed it up, which is mm. an amazing feeling. Lisa, any thoughts or questions? I'm, I'm excited to give this a try tonight. I'm, I'm ready. It doesn't really take a lot of effort, and I think... Um, I really believe that this is, is going to help. Can't, I'm just going to think of a couple of things I want to do this for. Actually, I already have one. Um, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I'll see what happens with it. But, it, it, I mean, the science, it, it like it, like Jackie says, too, it does help. It's great to know that there's science that backs it up. Not that I would doubt it. I guess I just never thought to use it that way. Because, I mean, having, I guess the thoughts that I use to get my sleeping back on track they worked uh, it totally worked I don't know why why didn't I even think to to use that time to go for something else that wasn't sleep related but more even excitement related um, it'd be awesome and most people when they're repeating a mantra or an affirmation can easily fall asleep doing it it is mm-hmm. a shortcut because you're shutting down your monkey mind again. I mean, yeah. you can't. It really does require you taking control of your thoughts, but you can't be spinning out on worrying or overthinking or plotting or whatever when you're forcing yourself to recite a mantra or an affirmation. Right. And I mean, it's um, yeah. It's like some people count sheep, right? <laughs> some people say the rosary. It's just it's like a it's like a distraction. It's a good distraction from the monkey mind. But doing this is is a distraction from the monkey mind, and it serves a greater purpose. Yeah. The primary benefit is, I mean, the secondary get the gain turns out to be the primary benefit. And I will, once again, I will put in a plug for using an affirmation to as an emergency response to pesky thoughts during your day. It really mm. does work. It just requires outnumbering the pesky thought with the thought desired. I mean, it can't. it's probably not going to work as an even exchange. Oh, here I am thinking this thought, so let me think this thought. I mean, that may not be enough to rewire a belief. It's probably not enough to shift the field in terms of law of attraction. But if you catch it and you can outnumber the thought, with your desired outcome or your desired thought, I think that it's pretty easy to make traction in the physical world. Fascinating so, stuff. Mm-hmm. That is it. Next week we are going to talk about physical movement and exercise. Hmm. 
I okay. shall brace yes, myself. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.